My name is Heather Pittman, and I will be reading scripture this morning. Listen for the word of God. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning at verse 14. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Today's gospel reading is from the good news according to Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the leaves. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth, be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There's always a little tentative. Uh, thanks be to God when we hear scripture passages like that one. Let us pray. Oh, that you would come down, O oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down in your beauty and your glory, that you would come down, O oh Lord, and set everything right. Yet you have set everything right, beginning in Christ. May your living word be heard, and may it give us strength. May it give us hope and peace in the knowledge of Christ's coming. Amen. So a friend of mine recently bought an Advent calendar where you open a little wooden window and you get to enjoy a different variety of craft beer each day. 
before Christmas. I mean, presumably on Christmas Day, you get to a, I think that it, you get to a bigger bottle of beer, and the best bottle of beer on Christmas Day. And it just says something about the festive nature of this season. For our culture, Advent is a festive season of celebration. And uh, it's lovely. It's one of our favorite seasons as a family as well. In the Christian year, though, Advent starts with a little less coziness. There will be signs in the sun, begins today's passage from Luke's gospel. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the seas and waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding as to what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Advent begins with heavenly bodies falling from the sky, with the ocean stirring and giant waves crashing, leaving countries confused and helpless, feigning with terror and foreboding as the heavens themselves are shaken. It's kind of like, you know, if you open your little Advent calendar and then suddenly there's an apocalypse. (laughs) You get hit by a wave. That's what it's like. It's not the most pleasant door to open on the first day in your Advent calendar. To be honest, I'd probably must rather have a nice, dark, wintry brew than a heaping helping of cosmic cataclysm. If it were up to me, that's the way it would be, but apparently it's not up to me. Advent begins with the end of the world. And I'll be honest, though, the end of the world is the last thing I want to think about right now because it's kind of already on our minds, if not all over them. There was an opinion piece in The Guardian, the online progressive British news site, a few weeks ago, and it was called Climate Depression is Real, and it's spreading fast among our youth. It was by Peter Kalmus, a climate change scientist. And it details the results of a UK survey that show, or a global survey, sorry, about how climate change is increasing anxiety and depression, especially among younger people. And it's kind of bleak. Here's what he says. A recent survey by a team of psychologists probed the climate anxiety felt by 10,000 young people aged 16 to 25 from countries in the global south and north. And in the survey, 77% said the future is frightening. 68% it said feel sad. And 63% feel anxious. 39% feel, quote, hesitant to have children. This distress correlates with the belief that climate action from governments is inadequate. And additionally, mental health distress increases with hotter temperatures as well, he says. And I won't go into I was going to read the rest of the stats, but you get it by this point, right? If you hear this, though, it kind of reminds you of today's scripture passage, doesn't it? Distress 
among the nation, roaring seas, people overtaken by fear and foreboding. To be clear, I'm not saying that we are living in the end times. These scriptures take great care to discourage us from speculating. We neither know the day nor the hour, Jesus says. Rightly or wrongly, though, our culture is saturated with apocalyptic language. Words like emergency, crisis, extinction, and existential threat are plastered everywhere. And throw in some floods, scorching heats, and play a plague, and you can win Bible bingo just by scrolling through your Facebook feed. It's had a real emotional, psychological, social impact on so many of us. Things can feel pretty hopeless especially for those of us who have a few more years left to live. Why might that be? Why is it that it's so scary? Well, a simple answer is that human beings are future-oriented creatures. We're future-oriented creatures. I'm reminded of something the Tesla billionaire Elon Musk said when he launched his space agency a few years ago, he said that, quote, life needs to be more than just solving problems. You need to wake up and be excited about the future to be inspired and want to live. Life needs to be more than just solving problems. You need a future. You need to be excited about the future to be inspired to want to live. And while Mr. Musk is probably deeply wrong on many things, Just follow his Twitter account and you'll know that. He is right about this. Not just about the literal end of the world, but also in our individual lives. A marriage or family falls apart, a career tanks, a business fails, or addiction eats away every relationship. Make the future shaky or take it away altogether. And the results of that survey aren't surprising at all. Fear, anxiety, depression. Just waking up and solving problems isn't enough because we are future-oriented creatures. Take that away and we wither like the grass. We need a future. We don't need to read the Bible to ratchet up our end times anxiety because it's already the water We're swimming in whether it's actually the end of the world or not, and it kind of makes that craft beer advent calendar sound like the best calendar to deal with life situations, doesn't it? Here's where, though, here's where passages like this apocalyptic passage in the Bible come in handy. They are incredibly useful things, extremely life-giving and hopeful things, in fact, which is a little bit different than our own apocalyptic language. As we said in today's scripture, the world is falling apart. Signs, signs, everywhere signs. And they don't look good. Seas are overflowing. People are terrified. The nations are helpless. And the heavens shake. But then we're told... Then we're told that after all of this takes place, the Son of Man comes riding in on a cloud with great power 
and great glory. At this point, we're talking about the second coming of Christ at the end of time. Now, this is a part of the Bible that a lot of churches like ours have shied away from, often for good reason. Because in the popular Christian imagination, the second coming can be painted like a sci-fi doomsday scenario like Mad Max or the Road Warrior, except Jesus is kind of the villain in the story coming to get everybody, except for the small group of righteous people. So you kind of expect Jesus to show up on the clouds and say something like, watch out, because the end of the world is just getting me started. But notice the actual scripture here. Notice the scripture. Now, Jesus says, now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So even if the stars are dropping from the sky, even if a typhoon rams into coastal Jerusalem, even when everybody on else, or else on earth is filled with terror, foreboding, and existential anxiety, Jesus says, even then, you can stand up tall. You can stand up tall. Because whatever the second coming is, it's not a time of fear for those who know Jesus. For those who know the love of God in Christ. It's the opposite, in fact. You can lift your heads up high, Jesus says, because your redemption, your liberation, your rescue is on the way. I am coming. Still don't get it, Jesus says. And then he tells a parable about a fig tree to hammer the point home. You know how figs start to sprout in spring because the figs are on their way in summer? Well, that's the same thing with the coming of God's kingdom on earth. All that tumult with the stars and the sea, don't get all worried. Think of it like a sprouting fig in spring. The glories of summer are just around the corner. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Though the world will someday come to an end, Jesus says, my word of promise will stand forever. The second coming of Christ is, contrary to what you may have heard, a good thing. It's a good thing. Of course, to be clear, though, there will be a judgment. And everything in us and in creation that is opposed to God's good purposes will meet a painful thing for we who are so invested in the way that the world is. But it's ultimately good news. It's ultimately good news. One scholar puts it like this. The gospel teaches us that beyond the end of time stands the Lord who has come among us in the person of Jesus. Jesus. 
or the end of life holds no terror for those who know God's love because they know the one who determines the reality that lies behind what we can know here and now. This means that those who know Christ as the Son of God can approach the end with heads held high, knowing that their redemption is near. The second coming is good news if you know who God is. The best news, in fact, because it means that whatever trouble we currently face, it's not the end. Whether it's anxiety-inducing climate change, or the stars falling from the sky, or the busting apart of your life at the seams, whether it's the snuffing out of the sun or the implosion of our galaxy thousands of years from now, Jesus' words will stand and never fall. His words will stand because the end of the world isn't the end of God. And the same God who has come to us in Christ will one day complete the healing and redemptive work that we caught a glimpse of beginning at Christmas. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We always have hope. We always have a future. Because we always have God. We always have God. Which means that no, you do not have to give in to hopelessness at the prospect of a fearful and uncertain future, whether, our, whether the future of our world or your little corner of it. Nor do you have to drown your tears away, your fears away, in whatever metaphorical drug of choice it may be. Craft beer or otherwise. Nor do you, nor do we have to give up on the crucial work of loving our neighbors and making the world a better place. It means the opposite, actually. We can love our neighbors. We can love our enemies. We can raise our families. We can serve our communities. We can seek justice and resist evil without the worry that it's all for naught because we know how the story ends. While we may be tempted to give up and give in at every turn, Jesus gives us solid ground to stand on while everything else shifts under us. The cross is steady while the world turns. The cross is steady while the world turns. So friends, Brothers and sisters in Christ, though the heavens may shake, the sea may roar and toss, though flood waters may rise and the sun may scorch, though the nations may be dazed and confused, and all signs seem to be pointing to no rather than yes. Hear the good news. In ways beyond our seeing and our knowing, God holds the future. God holds the future. So don't hide, stop cowering in fear, and get up. Stand up. Because your redemption is near. Christ is nearer today than ever before. 
his word will stand forever. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen. Please stand for my life flows on in endless song. Oh,